This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our town hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we present an evening of conversation with two candidates running for state legislature in the 17th legislative district. Tanisha Harris is running for representative in position one, and David Smith is a candidate for state senate. This conversation was recorded live on the evening of Tuesday, September 22nd. Hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Indivisible Town Hall. I'm Stephen Cox. I host the Washington State Indivisible podcast. Uh, thank you to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Jeevsky with Indivisible Tacoma. Thank you for joining us all tonight. Also, thank you to Larry Barrett for his help. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge that we live and work on the ancestral homelands of many indigenous peoples throughout the Pacific Northwest. We wish to express our deepest respect and gratitude to our indigenous neighbors for their enduring care and protection of our shared lands and waterways. So we are very excited tonight to be talking to two candidates from the 17th Legislative District that includes Eastern Vancouver and other parts of Southwestern Clark County. We got a number of questions from you ahead of time. Uh, I've worked to flow them into the program. If you have a question, just put it in the chat bar. We'll try to get to it. Um, These are tremendous candidates who are with us tonight. Each represents a great opportunity to flip a seat blue. And, you know, there's, there's just so much we can accomplish in the legislature if Democrats expand their margins. Now, I know that each of you listening is ready to hashtag do the work. And in fact, so many of you are already doing such incredible work right now. So I know that when you meet our candidates, you are going to be so excited to help them out. So let's introduce them now. Tanisha Harris is an executive board member for the Washington State Democrats, former chair of the 17th LD Democrats and former state committee woman for the Clark County Democrats. She is running for representative in position one. Hello, Tanisha. Hello. And Daniel Smith has been a social worker for over two decades. He currently manages the Southwest Washington office of a local healthcare nonprofit, and he is running for state senate. Hello, Daniel. Hello. Welcome, everybody. So we're just very, very happy, as I say, to have you both with us tonight to shine the spotlight on on both of you as candidates. So I thought, Tanisha, let's start with you. Take a moment, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your achievements and and how they prepared you for the job of state representative. Thank you and welcome everybody. I am Tanisha Harris, uh, she, her, they, them pronouns. I proudly work at the YWCA Clark County as a CASA program specialist and CASA stands for Court-Appointed Special Advocate. And we advocate for kids in our foster care system. And I've been doing that work for over eight years now. Um, Before that, I worked for the Evergreen School District in the field of multicultural diversity education. But um, the 17th LD for me is my lifelong home. I was born and raised here, went to school here, went to Clark College and and Washington State University of Vancouver, um, which is located in the 17th LD. So for me, this is my hometown. And one of the reasons why I'm in this race is to finish what I started back in 2018. We ran in this race two years ago and we came within 850 votes um, short of winning that race too. So for me, it's about coming back, finishing what I started and bringing real meaningful um, re- representation to the 17th LD and restoring um, some integrity to that seat too, because I, I feel over time here, the last couple of years has been tarnished and we need some better representation up in Olympia representing us. Well, we're definitely definitely going to talk about some of the ways, some of the many ways that you uh, contrast with your opponent. And I will just give a shout out to CASA, Court Appointed Special Advocates. That was one of my very first jobs. I was an office manager for CASA, so I know the work very, very well. It's, it's quite vital. Uh, Daniel, let's bring you into the conversation, sir. Tell us a little bit about your background and how that has prepared you for the job of state senator. First of all, I just want to say thanks uh, to everybody who's here tonight. And Stefan, I really just want to take a moment to uh, acknowledge um, your opening with a uh, land acknowledgement. I think that's a really important uh, connection to our community. Um, yeah, so I've uh, I've got a, a very extensive and, and long history as a background uh, as a social worker for over 23 years. Um, you know, I've been working all across Southwest Washington in uh, communities that are urban, communities that are rural, uh, and everything in between. So. You know, for me, my background is really one of the driving forces uh, of why I'm participating as a candidate in the 17th uh, legislative district race for state Senate. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, opportunities I think we have in our community to, to make improvements, uh, to identify changes, and to bring real strong, solid leadership for those uh, in our community. You know, it's been really hard um, these past few months. Uh, I do not need to tell anybody here tonight or listening, uh, but that these have been some of the hardest months uh, in anybody's memory. Um, I see that every single day in my professional career uh, and in my personal life. And I'm equally as inspired by the generosity and the commitment that our community has made to come together in times of crisis. And I really think that, you know, the, the, the situation that we find ourselves in and the grace and the, and the ability for us to connect with our neighbors in our community is what's really going to make um, our recovery and our new normal better than what we had before. Um, so just by way of background, for those who don't know me, I've led efforts all throughout Southwest Washington to improve uh, and implement a vast number of the necessary changes in our healthcare system. We still have a long way to go, um, but I particularly work within the Medicaid safety net system. And my expertise and area of, of deep interest is integrating health systems together with our community, with our mental health providers, uh, with our substance use providers, with our social service providers. Uh, and I really believe that it's my duty every single day and I'm accountable for it every single day to bring people together uh, to make a difference for our neighbors. Uh, I do that by building coalitions and I'm proud of my leadership role. Uh, and I'm really proud of the fact that one of my guiding principles is to ensure that the voices of those who are affected by policy decisions in Olympia are at the table, that we build bigger tables to make sure that those who are gonna be impacted by policies have a voice at the table. And you know, I know Stefan, we have a lot of work to do and our state success is really gonna be contingent on making sure that we elect leaders who are focused on people. Uh, and I think that there's a real great opportunity. This is a critical election, both at the national level and at the state level. Uh, I do not need to remind anybody what's at stake, um, but this is a really important time and I'm really glad to be here tonight. I hope we get dive into some deep questions. Um, but lastly, I just wanna say, first and foremost, I'm a father of two daughters. I have two middle schoolers uh, who are the inspiration of my life, who are the motivators for me, and um, I, I just uh, completely adore them and really want them to be able to live in a community that has uh, a future that they see themselves in. Uh, and secondly to that, for those who don't know me, I am hopefully the luckiest guy here on this uh, call uh, to be married to an amazing school teacher, Bethany Rivard. Um, and I can just tell um, for all those families out there tonight and everybody listening, uh, this is, this is just a tough time for kids, tough time for families with school-aged children, and an especially tough time for teachers. Um, and I really just, my hat's off to everybody who's, who's dug in and done what they can. So I'm really looking forward to a great conversation tonight. Thanks for having me. Um, I'll try not to take up too much time going forward. No, no, no. And I think, uh, you know, you touched on so much uh, in your opening statement that we're absolutely going to get to and unpack. So I appreciate you uh, sort of giving us an overview of some of the things that are to come. And certainly we want to drill down into the local. But I would like to start by uh, giving you both the opportunity to talk about something that is absolutely at the forefront of everybody's consciousness right now. And that is the passing of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is, out of, uh, of course, a national an international impact. You've both posted about this on social media. Uh, Tanisha, can I start with you? Can you briefly share your thoughts on how this has impacted you? Sure. Um, so I found out the news last Friday, five minutes before I was actually going into an endorsement interview meeting. And I immediately um, was devastated just just devastated as somebody who has followed politics my whole life and has always understood that it has always been about the Supreme Court. Every presidential election is about the Supreme Court. And so hearing her death and um, I was saddened and then I, not gonna lie, I got I got mad. I, 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 I got I got angry um, recognizing what was to come I got mad thinking about 2016 all over again. It was hard not to think about 2016, hearing upon her death. But then I said, okay, what has to be done? What, what would Ruth do? <laughs> you know, essentially that is what all of us have to be asking ourselves. And she would want us to fight. I mean, that is what she did her entire 
personal and professional career. And even when she, you know, was appointed in 1990, you know, back in, you know, in the 90s by President then Bill Clinton to the Supreme Court, she was still fighting for all of us. And she fought to the very, her very last breath. I mean, I think we all know that, um, you know, the, the stamina and the strength that she showed to get through these last three, four years, because she knew what was at stake. She knew our democracy was at stake and that there was a line of defense that she was not going to stray from that line, you know? And so I think that's the lesson that we, we take going forward. Um, I don't think any of us should be surprised that the Republican senators are all of a sudden going along with McConnell and Trump. You know, I, I didn't have, you know, that hive hopes that we would get four or five of them to say, no, hold up on this, you know, but um, it is, it, you know, it's, it's going to happen. And so what we need to do is on November 3rd, send the clear message that not only are we taking about the, back the White House, but we're taking back that Senate too. We're taking back that Senate because who knows, maybe President Biden will be in the same position as Trump has these last four years and have three appointments of his own to make. And so we need to be in that position to do that. But I think it's honoring and respecting Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she has brought to our judicial system and to our democracy and for the rights of people like me as a woman of color, as an indigenous woman and you know, women in the workplace and all of us who have loved ones who are LGBTQ plus, you know, we are fighting for everybody now and we need to all be in this together. Daniel, you want to briefly share your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll echo what Tanisha said. I wasn't preparing for a, for an endorsement interview, but our family was preparing for the Jewish New Year for Rosh Hashanah uh, when we uh, all got the word about um, RBG's passing. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a father of two daughters. I actually had the uh, distinguished honor, I would say, of actually having a glass of wine with RBG. Um, way back, um, I don't know, it's about seven years ago. Oh, wow. And I've always, um, I've always taught our kids about RBG. She has a prominent place in our hallway with her picture. Um, she has been an inspiration to me, uh, Bethany, my kids, my family. Um, she's just the beacon of uh, exactly what we want to see in this world. And like Tanisha, you know, we mourn. Uh, we, 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 we have a process for that, um, but it's inspiring and it's motivating. That next day, you have to get up and get it done. Um, you know, she, she, em, it just, she, just, she, she just signifies everything that's right in our country. Um, and there's so much at stake. Um, and I think one of the last pieces of it is her sort of philosophy around steady chipping away at progress steady, 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 and eventually you get to exactly what your destination is. Um, and I really believe that she uh, not only is um, one of our American heroes and hopefully uh, will be respected in that regard, um, but she continues to be an inspiration uh, both in life and in her passing. Well, you talk about the motivation that I think we're all feeling now and the, the, the sense of steady progress. Um, let's talk about some of the ways that this may be playing out here at home. Uh, and I, I would like to talk about some very basic issues that we have been confronting here in, in Washington. Specifically, let's start with the pandemic and the economic impact in particular. Uh, Tanisha, we'll start with you on this. How has, can you give us an idea briefly of how the pandemic has, in, has affected Clark County and the 17th economically? And then what are your specific plans to help individuals and small businesses get back on their feet? Thank you for the question. I just um, this morning, our local paper, the Columbian reported that Clark County sits at, I think a little bit over 3,200 COVID cases and 54 deaths. And we're actually seeing a spike. We're going, we're going backwards. We're not going forward. And we are now in the area that, you know, um, it is not likely for a while that we're going to see in-person um, learning from our kids and, and our school districts too. We do have some school districts that um, currently do have some um, in-person type programs happening as well too, but right now, you know, everything is remote learning too. You know, the biggest economic impact obviously is to our small businesses. Um, it is so important that we receive the federal help 
through the CARES Act and a second stimulus check coming to our families that is definitely needed um, for our families in the 17th LD. You know, there is, um, I know, sorry, last several weeks, a major push. Um, a lot of the small restaurants, uh, local restaurants are coming together, kind of a campaign to, you know, dine locally, shop locally too, when, when you can. Um, and there's a lot of our restaurants that are doing the right thing by remaining open, socially distancing, um, but they need more customers in there and more, and more takeout to, to survive. I know this coming Saturday, this is a shameless plug for one of my favorite restaurants in the 17th LD, but this week I plan on going to Main Event East on the east side here um, is one of my favorite places too because I just um, found out that, you know, they need some customers, they need some help in business too. And so I, I think we're, we're kind of at a crossroads as to what is the next step, you know, we're you have small businesses and you have restaurants and you do have people who do the right thing, but our numbers are going back up here too. And it's very difficult and challenging. And so I think it's our elected officials working with our county and our cities, um, working together and coming, I think they need to have a more united front to confronting this and moving forward to, and not try to be scientists and health experts, but listen to the scientists and health experts um, to move us to move us forward. That really is what needs to happen and honor and respect those businesses who are doing the right thing and reward them with our patronage. I mean, it's, it is a weighty subject. Uh, and Daniel, I'll just turn the floor over to you. See if, if you have any comments, uh, you know, sort of dovetailing on what Tanisha just said. Yeah, you know, Stefan, I think you're asking the, the, the question that's on everybody's mind, right? I mean, the pandemic has affected every single sector of our community, every business, every uh, behavior that we have. It's, there's just no way around it. Um, I... I work with folks who, um, on a day-to-day -day basis, in which this has hurt them more so, because they were already struggling. We still are trying to recover from 2008 in the social safety net services. Um, so this, this has impacted those who are um, the ones who need it most. This has hurt them so bad, um, and it's devastating. Um, you know, there's, there's not a week that goes by that I'm not working with somebody who is in tears and trying to figure out how the heck am I going to make it? Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. We have to, as Tanisha was saying, the bottom line is if we're going to get our economy back up and going, we have got to focus on getting control of this virus. There is so much pent up demand in our community to go and support our local businesses and to support our local restaurants and our small business owners. Um, if we had this virus in a better control, if we had elected leaders in our community who were advocating strongly to follow the public health guidelines, we would be making progress as opposed to digressing. Um, you know, small business is the heart and soul of a community. There's no, no question about that. My father, before he passed, uh, he ran a small business for 30 plus years. And I can tell you that um, there was not a single day in 30 plus years that my father took a day off. Uh, every single ounce of energy, sweat, tears, blood, smiles, laughter went into the business. And that's what's at stake here. And, the, you know, the, the responsibility of the state of Washington and, and those who are elected really is dependent upon a partnership with the federal government. Washington is not the only state and Clark County is not the only community and battleground in Vancouver that are facing uh, enormous shortfalls. Um, but certainly, um, we have got to get this virus under control. We have got to be able to uh, support our local businesses when people feel safe to go there. And just not everybody does yet. And um, that's, that to me is, you know, the ramifications of that uh, just goes into every single sector of our community. You mentioned earlier on in your statement there about uh, the need for uh, expanded mental health services, and rest assured, we will get to that. Uh, I actually want to speak to that um, uh, point with both of you. Uh, but following the economics on this, Tanisha, you have said that you want to be a voice for the working and middle-class families in, in the 17th. And I'll just ask you, in what ways are they currently not being represented, and how would you represent them better? 
I think one thing you have to do first is recognize the diversity of families that we have here in the 17th and the individuals that we have here in the 17th. And with the current representative, this is somebody who votes against um, workers' rights. This is somebody who works for the Freedom Foundation, Vicki Kraft you know, with the Freedom Foundation, who um, sole purpose is to go in and destroy unions and take away the rights of unions and our working class families too. Um, I come from a labor family. After World War II, my grandfather came out here to work on the docks. He was a longshoresman with ILW Local 4 here for over 35 years. Um, my father's family came out here in the early 1940s, one of the first African-American families to work in the shipyards and the railroads. So coming from a labor family, it's extremely important for me that those families are represented um, in Olympia too. We also have a representative who fights against raising the minimum wage, who fights against worker protections and workplace protections for that matter too. So, you know, for me, it's, I'm the opposite of that. I want to be that representative and that voice for our working class and middle-class families to make sure that, you know, they have all the opportunities as anybody else does. And too, and also wanting to expand apprenticeship opportunities for our young folks coming out of high school who, who find themselves not on the college track. Um, we know that, you know, there's nothing wrong with blue collar jobs. There's nothing wrong with labor jobs too. So expanding and promoting that is something I think as elected officials that we can do. And there's that leads into the kind of the economics of our district too and the diversity of jobs that we have too down here too. So that's something for me really important, the middle class and working class families. And then Daniel, shifting over to you, when you and I had talked in preparation for this, you said that the 17th continues to have an influx of people moving in to raise families, and that many of these people say that they feel like they don't have a voice in the Senate to address their needs. How would you like to be that voice? Yeah, I, you know, it's absolutely uh, the case that we continue to have growth in the 17th district. Uh, families similar to my family came here because it is uh, a great place to live. It is a great place to have kids raised. Um, it is just a wonderful, uh, wonderful opportunity uh, for so many families, and that's why they come here. Um, but they don't have a voice up in, in Olympia, uh, especially those who uh, have maybe struggled in the past, who are trying to rebuild. Uh, they don't have a voice, as, as Tanisha was talking about, in terms of that building out of that middle class, uh, those steady um, living wage jobs, the opportunities to, to give their kids everything that they possibly can uh, to make for their future to be better. Um, you know, for me, this is my, this is my life. This is what I do. I, I, I work with all variety of people um, and I sit back and I organize and listen to what is on their mind. Uh, I understand what the issues are and then we work together to solve problems. And, you know, that is to me the spirit of legislating. That is the spirit of bringing the voices of the people who live in your district and those who don't often have a voice uh, to be able to prioritize exactly what they uh, need to be successful in this community. You know, we're going through, as, as, as we all know, we are going through um, an economic situation that is somewhat equivalent to the Great Depression. Now we're seeing some upticks in that, um, but those families are going to need a voice. And, you know, I've been there. I, uh, our family has struggled. Uh, you know, we are very lucky right now, um, no doubt about it. But uh, we have had those conversations in our house about not being able to pay the bills, about not being able to afford childcare. Who's going to take a leave of absence from their job? Who's not going to be in the workforce? Because uh, the rising costs of living, uh, the rising costs of um, what families are facing, they're getting squeezed left and right. And um, that's, that's the opportunity I think our community has is uh, in electing and supporting uh, our campaign is to have that voice there. I, I want to shift over and uh, talk about the climate crisis next, uh, specifically because, Daniel, you posted a video on Twitter uh, all about the wildfire smoke that we have had to endure recently. Um, you, uh, I believe, filmed it from your, your porch, and we could see the smoke in the background. And you said that we need common sense solutions to our uh, climate crisis. Can you outline your approach and then talk a little bit about how that differs from that of your opponents? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, gosh, you know, 
a week ago, um, on top of everything that's going on, um, you know, we, we couldn't see our, you know, neighbor's house from, from our house. Um, it, it was just devastating. Our house was actually filled. Um, we had two families uh, staying with us who needed to get out, one out of an abundance of caution and one because uh, it was necessary. Um, so our house went to uh, a couple of extra kids, a couple of extra grownups, a few extra dogs, um, and it, it's just devastating. Common sense, that's what you asked about. You have got to be able to accept that we are experiencing climate change. You cannot be a climate denier anymore. It's just, it's beyond the pale, it's beyond my understanding. Um, there is no uh, scientific evidence that I'm aware of that refutes that. Um, so that, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we have to start just at a basic foundation, Stefan, that our climate is changing and we are one of the last lines of defense in protecting it. Um, that's the responsibility I have as a father um, that is a responsibility I would have as an elected leader, uh, and that is just the responsibility I think we all should carry uh, that burden in our community. Um, and I embrace it. You know, I think there are great opportunities here in the state of Washington. Uh, we have proven to the nation that we can have a robust economy with a very rational and comprehensive uh, environmental plan. Uh, you know, there is a difference, of course. I mean, elections are about choices. Uh, and my opponent, um, I think one of the indicators that you can uh, look towards is the public disclosure filings about who's funding her campaign. Uh, some of her top donors are BP, Phillips 66, Chevron, and Tesro. I mean, they have no stake or families, I, I suspect, at a corporate mm -hmm. level, living here in Southwest Washington, watching fires come into the arena, watching smoke fill up with your house. Um, so that's, a, that's just a clear foundational fundamental difference. I could get into the weeds on, you know, specific policies and, and, and where we uh, need to be headed and how we need to embrace um, science. Um, but that's just, a, you know, as you asked, a clear distinction between myself and my opponent. Well, and then, Tanisha, you frame the climate crisis in terms of environmental justice. Uh, can you talk about uh, a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, so like... Um Daniel's opponent, um, my current representative, um, it was July 2nd, 2018, when her and I appeared in front of the Columbian editorial board for an interview, and they asked us about climate change, and the representative Kraft simply said, I do not believe in climate change, I do not believe in the science behind it. And I just was just astonished <laughs> that she would say this out loud, but when you look at her voting record, that reflects that, you know, it's about not protecting our water and our airways and our land. Um, it is, you know, she too is, um, has her corporate donations from those oil and gas companies as well too. When I look at environmental justice, it's what communities impact, you know, has the environment impacted the most. And when you talk about air quality and pollution, and where sometimes um, these uh, these companies want to build at too. It's like where wh what are we talking about? Who what neighborhoods are we talking about? And so I mean, time after time again, it's low income neighborhoods, it's communities of color. Um, and so you know, for me, it's like you know why once again are my people <laughs> being affected the most by 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 this? And as we saw, you know, this past week you know with the with the fire with the fires and a huge shout out to the firefighters and the dispatchers and all the you know frontline workers who were combating that you know we don't want to be in this constant cycle of dealing with this time and time again and you know um i had family and friends members who lived in clackamas in county and leakin city who had to evacuate and malala who had to evacuate and didn't know if they were coming back to their homes or not too and so we have to t tackle climate change we have to believe in the science behind it we have to hold the polluters accountable too for it and um, if you're not going to recognize the basic facts that are happening in our communities and in our world right now and think it's a good idea, you know, to just, you know, 
leave every single climate plan and action that's taken place that we've tried to do as a country, just leave that behind. We're, we're just we're destroying ourselves and there's no need for that too. So when we have elected officials who just put their you know head in the sand or turn the other way, it's like, it's time for a change. You know, it's time for a change. We should not have people up there who deny climate change representing us when so many, so much is at stake. You touched a little bit upon, uh, upon the, the racial equity component of that, and I, I do want to come back to that at the end of our discussion tonight. But I want to switch in and talk about health care. Uh, we know that the state has taken some very solid steps toward affordable health care coverage for Washingtonians. Uh, Daniel, how do you see the next steps playing out? Yeah, so, you know, I think if you ask uh, any anybody in our community, healthcare is going to be the most important issue I think that people face on a day to day basis. And um, you know, Washington is a example. If you if you look back, sort of when the Affordable Care Act was uh, first introduced and then passed, you know, one of the things that was negotiated out of the Affordable Care Act um, was the public option. Um, you know, there's so many great benefits for the Affordable Care Act, and even nowadays, you're seeing you know, Republican states, ruby red states embracing uh, expanded Medicaid because they know that having folks uh, covered uh, makes a huge difference in their lives. Uh, there's all sorts of, of benefits to that. And, and there's, no, there's no real argument uh, at this point about uh, the need for more health care uh, and more services. But, you know, Washington's about to launch the uh, Cascade Care on January 1st. Um, and I think, you know, that is the public option. That is the first in the nation. Um, and we are really going to be the laboratories for the rest of the country when it comes to uh, developing the infrastructure and an understanding at a very deep and practical level uh, as it relates to the public option. So this is work that I'm deeply involved in um, in my professional life uh, in terms of understanding all of the different components that go into uh, this particular uh, health plan and this particular uh, option for folks who, who, will, who will need it. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity, and I, I, I will be very focused on that uh, at the legislative level to make sure that it is successful. Um, as you launch any new program, there will always be hiccups and there will be lessons learned. Um, so we have to make sure we have a continuous quality improvement uh, plan in place. Um, but I'm really pleased to be able to, uh, to live in a state that has taken on uh, this challenge. Uh, there's still a ton of work to do. There is no question about that. Um, there are still people in our community, uh, many, many people who have no access to healthcare uh, and who need it desperately. The emergency room is their only access to healthcare, and that is just uh, morally wrong. Um, it's unjustifiable. Uh, it's super expensive, and it needs to change. But the public option, again, you know, as as we look forward into the upcoming sessions and the upcoming opportunities, uh, we have an opportunity to be a model for the rest of the country. And I'm really excited about uh, what Washington's done. And, uh, you know, I really want to be uh, more involved in driving that uh, at a leadership level. Well, Tanisha, you want, would you like to lay out your vision uh, for how we get access to health care for all Washingtonians? And I'd love for you to contrast that with uh, the uh, kind of the, the way that your opponent is approaching the problem. I don't think she's approaching the problem at all. <laughs> I think that's 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 the reality. Um, I you know I work with my families. I work with um, are low income and they um, are on Apple Health. And I think for us here in Washington, for a number of years now, we have led the nation in terms of access to quality healthcare. And that's the thing, key is healthcare and then quality healthcare as well. And also expanding dental coverage. That is a huge thing that um, I see for a lot of the, the parents I work with is making sure they have dental coverage for their kids too. And I know a lot of work is being done in that area and also working with our tribes too on that. Um, you know, I think expanding the, you know, the public option, I was always in favor when the ACA was a public option. I always, you know, you know, 12 plus, 11 plus years ago now, that's something I always, you know, advocated for and wanting to see and the fact that we are leading that now here in the state of Washington and having Apple Health, um, and the fact that we could proudly have Apple Health, we didn't have to, you know, change our name or try to explain it. It is like we were out front leading on it with the ACA and working with, you know, the then Obama Biden administration on it too, which is a good thing. Um, so I think we need to continue the work in the legislature, what we've been doing, and keep working with our local um, public health 
you know, departments on that too, and any type of private partner, um, private public partnerships we have. We have a great university system here in the state of Washington and our medical facilities too. And so that's something that we need to just continuing to work on so we get, expand that coverage to all our families and let them know about it too. And I think there's a lot of people um, in, within the healthcare social service area who are ready to do the work to advocate for their families and um, get that information out. This kind of cycles back to what I was talking about earlier in the intro, and Daniel, you certainly put a fine point on this. We have an opportunity here in this state uh, to be a standard bearer and a model for the rest of the country, uh, and it uh, it matters that we put people like you uh, in into the legislature. I want to shift over and talk about mental health care. As I said that I would, Daniel, I know this is a huge focus of your campaign, uh, particularly children's mental health. You say that the need for these services have grown under the pandemic. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you would like to address the issue? Uh, Stefan, I mean, you know, this, yes, this is, this is a passion of mine. Um, this, is, this is something that I am laser focused on um, every day. Uh, we have, uh, you know, before the pandemic, uh, we were at capacity to serve children and family in our mental health system, especially in our safety net systems. Um, we have in Southwest Washington, and I get to, I get the privilege of being able to work all across the state of Washington. And I, yes, I'm a little biased, but in Southwest Washington, I would say that we have some of the finest, most dedicated, committed children's mental health providers uh, anywhere in the state of Washington. We have take great pride in making sure that families who are in significant need get the services brought to them in their homes, that they stay in their communities, uh, that they get wraparound services. But we are in a crisis situation. Um, you know, it, it's just devastating. You know, we have made the transition to telemental health services. And, you know, for some people that works, but for others, you have to remember um, you know, what the data is telling us is that kids aren't as engaged and you can't take a look back and you say, well, why aren't they engaged in telehealth services? You'd think they could do mental health services in their phones. It'd be great. Well, the fact of the matter is they don't actually have a safe place in their house. They might not have uh, an acknowledgement or support of parents um, that addresses uh, their needs. Uh, so that's just on the surface. But, you know, we, we have families that are so reliant on services in their homes. And, and this, is, this is really, really challenging in a situation uh, when we have to maintain social and physical distancing, when the virus is still out of control. Um, our crisis lines and our crisis calls are going way up. Um, the acuity or the severity of the needs is significantly rising. Um, and when I look at it from a sort of a more um, holistic perspective and what the data is going to tell us is that we are in a trauma cycle. And once the trauma of the events that have happened over the last six months continue to decrease or elevate, we will get back to a stage of post-traumatic uh, you know, situation with a lot of kids and families. And that leads to a whole nother series of um, what the state calls and what the Department of Health calls the behavioral health surge. And, and you know we, we have worked uh, diligently uh, for the last six months to keep providers open. Um, we have been able to to do that successfully and connecting with them. Um, and we are diligently in the planning stages of what that surge looks like. But man, Stefan, this I, you know we 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 have got to be um, aware of this situation. I'm laser focused on it. And one of the solutions, you know, for, for me that I've been um, working on for the last four or five years, at least uh, all throughout Southwest Washington, out to White Salmon and Goldendale and Klickitat counties and Skamini County and Cowlitz counties and, and here right in Clark County, of course, is really bringing services to places where kids are at. Um, and that is at schools. Uh, we have uh, worked, I've worked across the aisle with some of our local legislators to bring funding to this region. We have a great opportunity to bring a lot more and to really coordinate these services. But in any given day, in a normal school day, 50 therapists are working in uh, school systems on top of what the school's already uh, providing. And it doesn't even come close to meeting the needs of our community. And um, yeah, you know, there's, there's, it's a very, it's a very dear passion to me because not only do I see kids and families in need and in stress, I know that there's solutions out there that can be helpful, but I also, as the perspective I have is I know the long-term consequences when we don't address it because I see it in my day-to-day -day work and I see it in my day-to-day -day life. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it is a tremendous need. Um, and we need to have that voice at the table up in Olympia. We lose out on a lot of resources um, to other communities across the state. I'm not saying that they don't have their own needs, um, but if you have a voice uh, similar to mine uh, up there advocating and, and being a uh, strong supporter of delivering results and resources down here, uh, we, have the, we have the providers that, that will do the work. Uh, we just need that voice up there. But yeah, it's, 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 I, 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 it's, it's so devastating, Stefan. Um, well, I can tell that this is, yeah, I can tell that this is incredibly personal to you. Talk about the trauma cycle leading to the behavioral health surge. Um, yeah, it's, we, we, we see this. Um, and I will just bring you in, Tanisha, and note that you too have said that mental health services are one of the most urgent needs in our state. Maybe you talk about that a little bit and how you would like to sort of address the problem. I echo every single thing that Daniel just said. Um, our, our work lives um, overlap many, many a times. Um, when, when our kids come into the foster care system, like I say, I'm a CASA, and when our kids come into the foster care system, coming into the foster care dependency system is a form of trauma. Um, depending on what circumstances and living environment they came from, when they come in, they're traumatized again. Children's mental health services is so extremely important to me, not just with the kids I work with, but seeing our kids who struggle in school. We need more school counselors, we need more school nurses, more school psychologists, and be able to give them the resources to really uh, work with each and every one of, of our students, our kids in the schools too. Um, we, the 17th LD is home to the Children's Center, which is a great counseling center here in, in Clark County. And I know both the families I work with and Daniel's families that he works with, they utilize that too, along also with Columbia River Mental Health Services and um, Family Solutions and um, Catholic Community Services. We have some great, great programs and agencies down here too. What drives me to make sure that this work is being done on behalf of our kids is two years ago, I was up in Olympia and I was standing off to the side watching um, house procedures and a vote came up for the state to form a children's mental health work group. You would think this would be a no brainer something that we meaningful work that we can do to start the work and how we come together to tackle children's mental health issues and how as a state mm -hmm. we can provide more resources and policy around that. Um, my opponent, now Representative Kraft, voted against that. And I just I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I just could not believe it. And there was no reason, no explanation given to that vote you know, as in other votes that she has taken. And I just said, no, that this is unacceptable for our kids. And so I can tell you that little piece right there is something that motivates me and drives me every single day. And I remember that when I'm working with my kiddos in the CASA program as well too. And um, I will be a champion for mental health services and children's mental health funding. Um, that is just a, a, a given because that was just unacceptable to me. And I think it's an insult to their, our families down here because there's a lot of people down here who work very hard for our families who are experiencing mental health crisis. And, you know, professionally too, working at the YWCA, Clark County, we offer services around sexual assault, um, homeless, um, uh, homelessness, and also domestic violence. So we too, and we run a 24-hour hotline, and we were, we're the only organization that has a DV shelter in Clark County as well, too. So all of these things tie in together, and at least the cycle, and is about providing the resources and the proper structure to tackle those and help these families in need. Well, you know, you talked early on about uh, some of the inadequacies in the school funding as well. And of course, we know that we're looking at an $8.8 billion budget shortfall over the next uh, three years. People are very concerned about this. Schools are a top priority for both of you. Um, Tanisha, I know that you say on your site that the McClurry funding is in inadequate, and I think a lot of people agree with you on that. I will ask you two things. What else, you, you touched on this a little bit in your previous answer, but what else does our state need to do to fully meet the needs of our students? And also, how will you work to secure those funds to make sure that our schools are, are fully funded during this time? 
Um, for me, it's about our special education um, that needs to be um, fully funded. Um, we and um, CASA call our kids who are in special education special unique because that's what who they are. And I have, you know, some families I work with that has some extreme um, situations dealing with special education, um, the programs that are in, and that's something that we are even seeing these past couple of weeks with um, remote learning. Um, we have some schools that are having some of those special education programs open up and bringing some of our kids into the, into the school building. And I'm supportive of that. I know there are some families who are concerned and worried, and so families have been given an option whether or not they want to bring, have their kids coming into the school too. But we have some great programs across our many districts that you know, want to be of service to our special and unique kids in special education too. I think it's having the political courage to say, yes, we need more funding and we need to find revenue sources um, for, for that funding. Then maybe we just can't, you're not going to be able to sugarcoat it any other way. You know, we need additional funding if we're going to adequately um, fund our schools too. Um, something that also very near and dear to me is that I was um, the co-chair of the Evergreen Citizens for Schools. And we um, passed um, bonds and levies in both 2018 and 2019. And our school district bond, um, which I know Daniel and his wife Bethany were a part of this effort too. It really was a community effort. We passed the largest school bond in state history, $695 million. And now two years later, we're seeing new schools being built here in our Evergreen School District. We don't have kids in them yet, you know, but eventually one day they will be filled with our, our, our kids. But school funding and equity are extremely important to me because I have other two other school districts here in the 17th who have not been able to pass their bonds and levies. And there's no reason why those kids who, are go, who go to Richfield and Battleground schools can't have the same learning opportunities and learning environments as kids who live 10 to 15 minutes away from them too. So one thing I would like to see, I would like to see um, right now school bonds have to pass um, with um, 60, a super majority, 60% or more. I would like to see that come down to a simple majority. And so I would be one person who would want to put my name to that bill and work with people like Representative um, Paul Harris and uh, Representative Monica Stonier who have been um, leading that charge um, for our schools. So that's some little bit, of some ideas that I have. Well, Daniel, I, I assume that you support uh, lowering the threshold for a uh, simple majority for school bonds as well. I agree with uh, with Tanisha on that for sure. I mean, it's it it there's so I mean we could talk deeper into just the inequities around um, uh, a whole variety of things that happen within the educational sector. But yes, I agree with that. Well, you know, we have just a limited time left, and there are a number of things that I want to get to with both of you. So if you'll indulge me, I, I would like to just ask you a series of questions, and if we could just get um, kind of a, a somewhat short answer. I, I really don't want to, to cut you off uh, in any way, but there, there are a number of things that people wanted us to ask you about, and so I'd like to go through a few of those right now. Tanisha, we'll start with you. Um, we, I'd love to get your thoughts on vaccinations because Clark County had a measles outbreak last year. Uh, both of your both your opponents, you, uh, Tanisha, and you, Daniel, both your opponents opposed a vaccination bill that would eliminate personal exemptions. I believe it was HB 1638. Uh, also, Tanisha, I believe your opponent opposes a COVID vaccine mandate. So I'll just ask you as a candidate, what informs your views on the issue of vaccinations? Science and health, public safety, and I believe in vaccines. And if a COVID-19 vaccine is made available and it's been proven safe and FDA approved, I would take it. And then, Daniel, the Columbian wrote an editorial calling out your opponent, uh, who is uh, quoted as saying, quote, the science is not settled on vaccinations. Um, I can only assume that uh, you don't uh, agree with that assessment. What is your take on all of this? You know, it's, it's startling at first, um, but not to be um, unexpected, I think. You know, the uh, Colombian um, speaks, I think, in, in a lot of ways for how communities feel. And they have uh, an editorial stance that, you know, really did call out the anti-science position that my opponent has taken. Um, you know, past is definitely going to be a purview of protocol in the future. Um, this is a really serious issue. There is no other... 
um, higher responsibility that an elected official has than to um, effectively understand and support the health, wealth, health and safety of our community. And um, I, you know, it's perplexing to me. Um, I, I've seen video of this. I've seen uh, articles in the Colombian of this. It, it just defies uh, defies sort of a, just a common understanding. Um, you know, this is this is part and parcel, I think, to uh, the reason why we are continuing to see this cycle of. Um, steady increases in vaccinations. It's all part of the same propaganda uh, as the Colombian said it was. Uh, this is all part of an anti-science, anti-data, um, you know, and it's really, really disturbing. I mean, I have my kids in school. Um, this is, this, this, this is to me um, just one of the, um, one of the real issues that I think we're going to have to address as a community. And I think, you know, the Colombians, I think they said something along the lines of, you know, this is uh, not only is it anti-science, but it's irresponsible um, and it's fake news. And I think that's exactly what it is. And uh, but it's but it's alarming. Well, I, I'm seeing a lot of heads nodding along with you there. Um, I want to touch on infrastructure with both of you because both of you really put this front and center in your platforms uh, needs in the 17th. But I'd really like to drill down on the I-5 bridge. So this is what connects your community with uh, Portland. Um, this week, repairs for the I-5 bridge have started. Um, Daniel, I understand your opponent is opposed to replacing the bridge. In your opinion, talk about the need and what you would like to see done here. Yeah, the I-5 bridge is, you know, it's the biggest, most important infrastructure projects here in Clark County. Um, it is the connection between uh, our, our, our economic moving of goods. Um, it is long past due that the bridge needs to be replaced. Um, you know, I'm pleased with the progress, I think, that's been made over the, um, over the recent past in terms of connecting closer with our bi-state partners, um, really focusing in. Um, but this is a priority. The rest, I think, is um, a distraction. Um, you know, we've had the bridge repair, I think, going on for a day and a half or two days. And, you know, it's because people aren't going to work. Um, things are flowing okay. But, I mean, yes, this is, this is something that will bring uh, jobs to our community. This is something that leads us into the future. Uh, this is something that is long overdue. Um, and I, I believe that uh, we really have uh, have got to just put aside some of the partisanship around this and uh, join together and, and solve for this problem, which I think is possible. But I, we have to have uh, folks at the table who are committed to that. And um, that is certainly uh, the expectation that I have. And I think the community has as well. Well, you know, Tanisha, your opponent, I believe, has put out some other um, ideas about what she would like done with the bridge, uh, say, creating a third bridge. Um, do you agree that the I-5 bridge simply needs to be replaced as opposed to, say, creating a third bridge? Yes, I support the replacement of the I-5 bridge. Um, back in 2014, we had two local state senators here who voted no on the transportation package that we could be right now in year five of building the I-5 bridge. And um, politics got in the way, ideology got in the way. How, and now here we are, you know, doing the, you know, doing repairs here, here and there. Um, I too am, am happy with the process, you know, the progress has been made here recently over the last um, several months of Oregon and Washington coming together. But my opponent believes in a third bridge and a third bridge to nowhere. You know, Oregon does not want a third bridge at this time and over the last 10 years when the third bridge option has been brought up um, by either my opponent or people who are allies with her, it always seems to go farther, farther east. And, you know, I have family members who live out in, in Gresham who are like, so is there a bridge coming our way or something? I mean, people, my family members in Oregon joke with me about where's this third bridge coming? Is it coming to my neighborhood, you know, this year or the next year it's somewhere else too. So, you know, if there's going to be a third bridge option, it needs to be down the road after we replace the I-5 bridge at this point. So we have uh, a little bit of time here, and I'm glad because I would really like to drill down deeply on something uh, that we touched on when we began our conversation. And it's, it's something that is front and center to our national discussion, and that is systemic racism. Um, because it touches on so much of everything that we've already addressed, Tanisha, I will just ask you to, to frame the problem and, and how you envision potential solutions. 
I think it's a problem that we've been dealing with for 400 plus years now. And we're now, I think, at a point in our country where as a woman of color, I see people of all backgrounds really, really coming together and speaking out against systemic racism, speaking out against, you know, injustices that are being done to people of color. Um, but this injustices, you know, are across the board as so many of our families and so many people that we know and love. Um, for me personally, you know, the fight for civil rights and social justice is nothing new, but it also is more, even more personal to me as a woman of color, as somebody who is a sister of a police officer, as somebody who works within our court system too. I, I see this intersectionality of my life kind of playing out at times and being asked, what should we be done? You know, down here in Clark County, both the city of Vancouver and the Clark County Council have begun listening sessions, which I think is a great start to, but um, we also need to look at all of our systems, you know, our businesses, our education, our school district, higher learning, you know, Clark College, we have Clark College and WSUV, you know, down here too, really looking at what it is that we are doing. I currently sit on the city task force of Vancouver for council representation, looking at how do we increase diversity um, and representation, you know, amongst our underrepresented groups when it comes to city council and boards and commissions too. And a lot of, a lot of feedback, we got a lot of good ideas that are going forward to that too. And we had a presentation last night in front of the city council and I concluded my remarks with, yes, we have a lot of ideas. I said, but these are things that all parts of our society are now dealing with and are looking at how do we better ourselves? How do we better our workplaces, our schools, our places of worship, our neighborhood associations? You know, so this is something that's not going to, you know, have a solution overnight, but all of us play a role. No matter what political ideology you may have or what position of you are a school board member, a city councilor, a county councilor, or a state legislature, you know, we have a role to play and the families that we represent and really understanding and listening to what all our families go through on a daily basis. Um, it's about listening is the first thing and acknowledging that we can do this and not casting blame, but then we be able to dive into the issue and really make, to me, meaningful progress. I will ask you from your vantage, because it's unique. You, you mentioned that you're the sister of a police officer, and uh, I will ask you, are you are you at all hopeful uh, during this time right now that, you know, we, we certainly have a national dialogue about this. Are you hopeful that it'll produce something um, fruitful, positive? I do. I, what I see is people want meaningful change. You know, um, people have asked me about defund the police. I don't support defunding the police. I think that is a horrible slogan. I think what we can say and what we look at is reforming, reprioritizing, um, giving our police officers and law enforcement the necessary mm -hmm. tools and resources and training that they need to confront the challenges they have on their job each and every single day. My brother, before he was a police officer, he was a social worker. So I see a different side to him and I've done some ride alongs with him too. And so I see what that approach could be, but we are all asking our law enforcement to do a lot. And if there's different ways that we can um, help our law enforcement, I think we need to do that too. And that's through reform and, you know, retraining and reprioritizing budgets. You know, um, but I do remain hopeful. I think we have to have hope and we have to keep moving forward on it. We just can't just say, okay, we've had all these protests, you know, we've had the rallies, now let's go back. You know, I, I'm seeing the opposite. I, I am seeing the opposite from people, um, all parts of our community, that they want progress and they're going to hold leaders accountable in various different ways. Well, Daniel, you know, uh, she, uh, Tanisha mentioned uh, that, you know, she has a connection to a social worker. You're a social worker as well. And I would ask you how that sits with you. But I'm also curious because when you and I prepared, you mentioned that uh, top officials in your community, including on the Clark County Council, denied that systemic racism exists. Um, how that sit with you? Stefan, um, 
the fact that somehow Clark County, Washington, is the only county in the United States of America or in Washington in which systemic racism doesn't exist is laughable. But more than that, it's extremely painful. And it isn't just that our top elected officials here in the community said it. They doubled down on it. They tripled down on it. They, re, they, they continued to effectively dismiss um, the trauma, the effects in healthcare, in our legal system, in our education system, in our housing system, in our banking system, in our criminal justice system, and dismissed it. That's not leadership. And I, uh, I dedicate myself um, all the time and rededicate myself to ensuring that uh, when there is an issue on the table, when there is a problem, we confront it. We address it by listening, by building coalitions, uh, and we provide leadership. And wherever that comes from, you know, it still shocks me that other elected officials in our community who represent us in Olympia are silent on this issue, which to me is as disturbing as being so um, out front by saying it doesn't even exist. Um, so this is, this is no doubt a commitment that um, our family makes uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's how we raise our kids. Uh, it's how we go about our life. It's how we practice our faith. Um, we have an obligation to partner and to call for social justice. Uh, and we do that through a variety of different ways. But man, it hurts, Stefan. I mean, it, it hurts families. It hurts our community when we don't have leaders who address what is really happening in our community. It, it, it's really, really painful. Um, so yeah, this is, this is, of course, not something that's just a media headline. This is not something that just happened because we elected a president in 2016 or in you know 2012. Um, this, as Tanisha said, has uh, affected our society for over 400 years, um, and it continues to do that. Um, and we need to um, have that optimism that Tanisha, I think, is talking about to recommit uh, and to double down and to really um, uh, afford um, an opportunity for our community to heal from, I think, some of the, the wounds um, that our elected leaders either are silent on or have um, instigated. And we need to put our foot forward and um, be partners together to address it. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's devastating. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's just really, really hard to digest. Well, you know, I, I regret that we're out of time at this point, but I, I just want to speak my heart and say, um, you are the types of candidates that we need uh, in office right now. You are precisely the reason why uh, Kat and Julie and I started these town halls. Um, we need people like you in office. And so I will just ask you in parting, uh, what sort of help do you need with your campaign? Tanisha, can we start with you? Sure. Um, we need all the volunteers we can get. We are making phone calls every day to voters. We're starting our text bank. We need donations. We are filming a TV ad and we're doing digital ads too and we're doing mailers. So donations, volunteers um, for those phone bank shifts are great. Um, if you live in the 17th LD, you request a yard sign and you can go to our website, which is electtanisha.com. And I think my campaign manager is in this meeting too. So she will put that information um, in the chat too. And I always, I am a person of faith. So I always welcome good wishes and prayers for our campaign. Um, but that's really what it is about is what we need. And we have a tremendous um, showing of support from within and outside of Clark County to flip the 17th LD and um, get rid of the, the current representative. And that, uh, for those people listening uh, via the podcast and via radio, uh, Tanisha is spelled T-A-N-I-S-H-A. Daniel Smith, you get the final word tonight, sir. Uh, what sort of help do you need with your campaign? Well, first of all, for the final word, um, thank you for, for um, allowing us to have an opportunity to talk with everybody. And I really appreciate the, the time that folks spent uh, here tonight and, and in the future when this gets rebroadcast. But, you know, I, I get it. This is, a, this is a big election year. I mean, there is so much on the line at the national level. 
Um, but I just would, would remind folks, you know, I, I echo everything that Tanisha says. We always need more volunteers. Uh, we need make, to make connections. We need to get out the votes. We have yard signs. Um, we have all of that that we really uh, are effective. I mean, that's the way that, that we are going to uh, be able to be uh, successful here. Um, but I would just, you know, remind folks that um, despite the national tensions, despite the, the, the dominance of the national news, um, you know, encourage your friends to just, in your network, to just take some time to really focus on the local, local um, races. Um, the local races are what is uh, going to impact your day-to-day -day life more than um, the national elections. And I believe me, I track the national elections as close as possible. And I know that the ramifications systemically are enormous. Uh, they could not be any higher in my lifetime whatsoever. Um, but I really do encourage you to at least, you know, focus in a couple hours a week on the local elections. We have six weeks to go. Um, the other thing I would just ask is for those who are listening tonight or listening in the future, uh, call me. Uh, I'd love to set up just coffees or, you know, small gatherings, you know, to connect with your network, uh, with your friends, with your family members here in our community. Um, you know, I spend my, uh, my career listening and I want to hear uh, more from people. I, I do that. We do that a lot in uh, public forums and we do that as community conversations, but I'm happy to schedule time to, uh, to Zoom. That's the way it is these days uh, with all of you. Uh, we can sit back and have a cup of coffee together like we would in person. Um, and I, you know, I think people are getting comfortable with that space and, and it, it does become rather uh, intimate and, and, and uh, important way for us to be able to talk to each other. So encourage me, um, please email us. Uh, I think uh, my campaign manager is also probably writing things in the chat box, but you can go to smithforsenate.org um, and that's uh, another way to just plug in. But, uh, you know, two hours, three hours a week of really just focusing in on your local elections um, is going to be all the difference in the world. I think Tanisha probably uh, agrees with me that this is going to be a close race. The 17th is always going to be a close race and it's not going to be a quiet race. Um, there's going to be uh, there's going to be uh, votes up for grabs and we got to you know work every single day to earn them. And, uh, you know, if you have friends or your network that could give two hours a week. Um, that's going to make all the difference in the world. And I think, you know, when we come back here uh, on November 4th and the margins are close, uh, you might have that satisfaction of knowing, you know, I made that one extra call and that, that very well could have tipped the race. So a lot on the line at the national level. I get it. A lot of focus on that, but uh, just take some time to, to focus in on the, on the local races too. So again, thank you very much. And, you know, again, I just want to say stuff and I really appreciate you uh, making that land acknowledgement at the very beginning. There's a lot of opportunities uh, that get missed to do that. So um, just a really, uh, a great, um, a great asset that you brought to this uh, community conversation. So it's really important. And I cannot claim credit for that. Uh, Julie Anjewski was the one who, who brought that to us. So thank you, Julie. Uh, Daniel Smith, Tanisha Harris, uh, honestly, thank you both so much for joining us tonight. Thank you again to Tanisha Harris and Daniel Smith. Thanks also to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julian Jievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Thanks this week to Catherine Feisiers. Special thanks to Lori Colwell. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.